are listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from Musqueam Territory, uh, unceded Musqueam Territory in Vancouver. Uh, this is the Art Support with your host, Liana, and our lovely reporter, Lua. Hey guys, I'm here again. <laughs> She's always <laughs> As here. usual, yeah. Um, I don't even know why I say this. We have a really great start right now. We're going to have an interview. Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, hi, my name is Matthew Kim. I'm a uh, fourth-year undergraduate student in the opera performance major. Awesome. Which is pretty cool. But yeah. more importantly, what are you going to be on, like, tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so tomorrow is actually our third performance of Silent Night. It's a the opera that we're working on this term. And, uh, yeah, it's going really well, actually. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. So for those of you that don't know, Silent Night is a contemporary opera. Would you describe it like that? Yeah, for sure. It was written, uh, premiered 2011, I think, in America somewhere. I'm not sure. <laughs> it actually, yeah. It, um, and then it won a Pulitzer Prize in 2012. Um, so it's really great. It addresses, it's about the First World War, and it's about the Christmas treaties that the different sides had on Christmas Day. And um Really, it's just set on Christmas Day when they're doing the treaties and kind of the consequences of that. But there's a little bit before the prologue um, introduces some of the characters and towards the end, it kind of shows the aftermath and the consequences of this. And it just the opera in itself kind of highlights the just the brutality and the tragedy of the war and the humanity that these soldiers kind of realize every side possesses. Um, it's really beautiful. It's very moving, uh, very emotional, yeah. Mm, interesting. Uh, and especially with opera, I mean, it does evoke some very powerful, profound emotions, I'm guessing. Like, I feel that this is the kind of thing, like, I'm going to go to it and I'm going to cry, <laughs> like, a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, some people actually, a lot of people have said they were crying during it, um, different parts. Uh, yeah, my character... I play the brother, I play a Scottish, a Scottish guy, you can tell, I'm Asian, so obviously I play the <laughs> Scottish guy, <laughs> um, but he is the brother to kind of like the protagonist for the Scottish side of the storyline, and um, he is the older brother, and his name is William, and the younger brother's name is Jonathan, and William comes in, and he's just excited about the war, because he just hears that they're recruiting for war, and you know, back then, before World War One even started, they thought that it was going to be a really short war, and it was just going to be a few weeks, maybe a couple months. Um, so he runs in, and he's excited about war, and he's excited about the glory and the honor that <clears throat> he might attain during the Save Some Lives, you know, the classic. <laughs> be a war hero. Yeah, be a war hero. Um, and he sings a short little aria about that, and he runs off. And then they come back in training camp for a short quintet, um, and then it jumps right into the battle. And he actually dies. He gets shot and he's killed. And his <laughs> <laughs> a little spoiler alert. <laughs> and Aaliyah <laughs> almost like, dies I was just like, knowing wow. that. Yeah, it's like straight off the bat, just oh yeah, and he dies. Yeah, <laughs> it's horrible. And uh, <laughs> and the younger brother is left um, in this battlefield. He was the older brother. John uh, William was the one who convinces Jonathan to enlist. So this younger brother is kind of left um, alone without his brother um, to deal with this war and like the battles in the trenches and. You know everything that's going like, on. It's I'm just already horrible. feeling emotional. No, yeah. <laughs> just, it's so horrible. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> yeah, um, there's tons of other. It's 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 fun actually because the opera highlights different characters and different storylines within it, and there's an overarching theme, obviously. But 
um, it's cool to kind of go back and forth between all these different characters and see the different sides and perspectives from. So you don't really follow one person; you follow yeah. a, m- many people. Cast is huge. Yeah, yeah. Oh. it's great. Oh. And then there's like three different choruses: uh, French, German, and Scottish, and different characters. Yeah. So <laughs> it is sung in three or four different languages. Actually, in five languages. Five languages. Yeah, cool. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> so do all the singers know all the languages, or did you guys just learn the songs? Um, and hope for the best that you're pronouncing everything yeah, right. <laughs> so the job, yeah, the job of an opera singer is you don't you don't have to be fluent in the language, but we do learn, especially like when you come to university for an undergrad or a master's. Some of the things you do, you have to take language languages, and you have to learn how to correctly pronounce and uh, read different languages. So I know how to read French, German, Italian, um, uh, and there's also a another language IPA well it's not in the language but it's a way to write phonetically out different languages so any language you can phonetically write it out and it's called IPA and you learn how to use that too um, which really helps if you don't know how to really language then you can just use the IPA and kind of figure it out Um, yeah and then you can have coachings or things like that people who are experts in languages Uh, shout out to Richard up at the (laughs) UBC music Uh, he's a coach there and he's really proficient in all languages or not all I should say but the a main bunch of options, <laughs> a yeah. Bunch of <laughs> you have a question about it, you just run to him and he'll know straight away. It's great. And what was the preparation like for such an emotional character? Like such, it's it's a very um, heavy play. Yeah, it has very heavy themes. Uh, so, what was the preparation like for that? Uh, personally, for my character, it's actually in a lot of ways easier. Not easier, but I just feel like I was able to kind of connect my character a little bit faster just because um you know these men are really boys they're they're my age they're 20 you know i'm 22 now but they're you know 20 18 whatever old um so and i actually i (laughs) side note i really like watching like ufc and boxing and things like that so i can see being in 1914 and being like oh you know this war's coming up i get to fight and i'm super excited about it so i very quickly got into that mentality um, we actually have real veterans with us on stage. Wow. Um, they're from part World of the War chorus. Or yeah. Two? Oh, from from World not one from, or two? No. Um, so I think some of them are from. Sometimes. <laughs> I mean, there are uh, very much people that are alive. The war was not that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't think World War II veterans. Um, I actually know one of our veterans, Ben, he's actually still enlisted. Um, he's just wow. back right now. He's working as a volunteer firefighter until he goes back on tour. I think he's going to Iran. And um, Richard, yeah, I'm not really sure what war they fought in, but yeah, um, they kind of go over some of the mentality and the psychology that goes behind being in the trenches and being in warfare. Um, And so for our chorus members, I'm also in the chorus, but for our chorus members and other characters in the show, I think that really helped them kind of get into that mindset of what it's like to you know, five days at a time, be in these trenches where you have to be crouching 24-7, otherwise, you know, you're getting shot at, you know, you're getting gout in your feet because they're submerged in water and bacteria. Um, you're cold, you're hungry, you're scared. Uh, you know, you're hearing gunshots and bombshells, like, all the time, constantly, 24-7. So the state of anxiety and the state of, you know, extreme alertness um, really just it changes people. And we've been talking a lot about PTSD. We actually have symposiums. Uh, we had one Monday, yesterday, and today. 
and they're going over war-related things such as PTSD and injuries and um, just talks that um, some professors and professionals are coming in to talk about and stuff like that. Um, really great stuff, too. It's awesome. And, like, within all of that, there's also, like, the lighter part that Silent Night was that one peaceful night, right? Yeah. Throughout the entire war that kind of surprised everyone. Yeah. At the same time. Um, yeah, that's, it's, it seems very interesting. And uh, <laughs> coming from, as a contemporary opera, how do you think it differs from other classical operas? Or, like, uh, how would you think that it might be more interesting or less interesting for someone that might not have be might not be super familiar with operas i think uh something that really shown through to me other than just like the actual content of the opera obviously you know world war one and something like this it's very it's hard to access because none of us have or none mm-hmm. of us my, are my age at least <laughs> uh unless you're a veteran have really been through something like that musically i think there's a there's a big stigma I think around co- contemporary opera and contemporary like classical music um, that it's just kind of inaccessible because it's so you know dissonant and it's not I'm gonna kind of get into music nerd terms here yeah, but we uh, can use nerd terms like we're all for nerds <laughs> yeah no, this, is a, this, is a, this nerd is a nerd safe space, space. like please listen nerd to out. all our podcasts and you'll see that they're only nerds here. <laughs> okay uh yeah it's just it's not it's definitely not mozart it's uh you know you're not dealing with perfect third perfect fifths and major thirds and things like that things that sound nice to us you know pop songs things like that um it's very dissonant it's very uh rhythmically complex um that's one of the real pitfalls of contemporary opera is rhythmically and tonally extremely hard music so you have to be really on tune with it but i think through that you see that in shows like Peter Grimes by Benjamin Britten, this show. Um, I think they, on another level, bring out some of the humanity in these stories that if you were to just, if you were just limited through tonality like they were before, um, you wouldn't be able to access. And it's kind of hard to envision that um, without seeing a show mm-hmm. like this, but if you were to look at a Mozart opera that's just kind of light and funny, like Magic Flute. We're doing that next turn, by the way, to everybody. Buy your <laughs> <laughs> um, Magic Flute, that's what I, I like to, when I think about Magic Flute, I like to tell people it's like, that's like opera for beginners. You know, that's what I would introduce someone to opera with is like Magic Flute or something like that. It's I'm, a I'm Mozart it's not super long? Uh, no, probably not. It's probably, I mean, all opera, not all opera, but <laughs> <laughs> opera, <laughs> you know, it's a little longer. Um, but... Yeah, it's not that long, but it's a fun story. It's really comical, light. Mozart is kind of known for that, just kind of light style, funny, funny, light material. Um, Yeah, I just think that this music, it's just, it really, like, especially the more you listen to it, it really just, like, like, buries itself into your mind and sticks with you, and you're, like, you you end up thinking about it so much more, um, personally, at least. Uh, And when you relate that music to the content and the subject matter, it really changes things for me. I'm sorry, I'm very speechless right now because it's <laughs> like, um, I don't know, opera is not really something that I feel that con- like people nowadays, young people mm-hmm. are uh, not necessarily interested in, but it's just something that younger people don't really have access to. You know, yeah. like if it feels very 
unaccessible to us. Yeah. And it's interesting that uh, you're a fourth year opera student. You know, like <laughs> I, I was fascinated by that from the start. I was like, wow. Like, I'm guessing it's not a very big program, and it's not. No. Um, yeah. Uh, I think in our program total, including master and doctor students, I think we have less than 100 people in wow. opera performance. Um, I think it's, it is nowadays especially a very, like you have to be introduced to it through someone else. I don't think people just kind of stumble into opera nowadays. Um, what I would say is if you're a fan of musical theater or anything like that, like stage, even like just plays or drama, um, I would say give opera a shot and really just give it a shot and listen to an opera like more than once because um, you know everything especially with stage and live performances and things like that it's always better to watch it more than once to kind of get a good idea of like the themes and things I think the different languages kind of intimidate people as well they're like oh this is in German this is in French I don't know what the hell's going on <laughs> you know? sorry I don't know if I can swear or not but um yeah, they're like some people just that's really off putting to them that they don't understand what's going on. But um, nowadays, you know, you can just Google Translate. Yeah, you can do <laughs> well, not even that, but you could just Wikipedia the plot and follow along and you kind of know where you're at. You know, something sounds sad. Obviously, you're reading it. You're like, oh, this is the sad part. This is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, but there are, I mean, there are tons of like recordings on YouTube things. You don't have to pay for something. I when I want to watch an opera. That I, like I'm performing or things like that I just first thing I do is pop onto YouTube and usually there's a full show a lot of the times there's English subtitles with it which just makes it 10 times easier will there be English subtitles for or yes. up, up titles I don't know what they called like yeah. <laughs> subtitles <laughs> yeah. like sky titles <laughs> uh yeah there are there are so everything's gonna be easy to read and you'll understand what's going on we're not gonna leave you in the dust it's five different languages and i'm gonna be like oh no. here's some latin here's some italian it's like oh no sorry you don't speak five languages can't watch the show yeah, uh, sorry we're kind of high class yeah. we only let people who can <laughs> you, know only, you only get to understand a fifth of the show it's like That's, oh sorry yeah <laughs> we didn't really think that one through i do I have know. one question yeah. <laughs> Since you play a Scottish character, do you have to do oh. a Scottish oh accent? Oh, <laughs> I'm no. sorry. I've, I, been, I've been thinking Scott. about this the whole time, and I didn't know when was a good time to ask, and I feel Scottish like I just got to know. Scottish accents are my favorite thing no, I, in the so, world. Let me just preface this by saying I am horrible at accents for the most part. I can do, I would say I can do a, a decent Australian accent, but that's about it. Um, singing in an accent's hard because the way vowels are kind of morphed um, for different languages isn't great for singing, especially opera singing, because the whole point is to get pure vowels through uh, with support. <laughs> and, you know, um, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> like, it's, just gonna be... <laughs> uh, it's just, yeah, especially Scottish, I find their mouths are very closed a lot of the times when they're talking. And it's just, it's hard. Okay, question. Though. Is there talking or is it all singing? Oh, uh, that's a good question. So there, to what I can recall, there isn't any spoken line. I actually, as a chorus member, have one spoken line, but it's just, yes, sir, lieutenant. So it's kind of <laughs> just okay. like one little thing. Um, but most of them, so in opera, we have this thing called recit or recitative or recitative. Um, and it's basically just spoken dialogue to music. So rhythmically, you're on point and it's a set rhythm. And especially with modern opera, the more modern you get, the more rhythmic 
more rap like it also gets <laughs> yeah well just more rhythmically you have to be correct um i feel like most there's things like mozart it's called dry reset so he kind of gives you he rolls a chord like a c major chord and then you're just kind of in that tonality of a c major chord and you can usually if you i mean you obviously you would know it perfectly or you'd expect it to but <laughs> if you kind of messed up and you're on stage and you're like oh shoot i don't know what to sing if you, you know tell me so like you can kind of guess where you're at um but for modern opera, everything tonality and punctu- and rhythmic wise, you have to be very correct and on point. Um, so basically, it's like talking to music. In a way. And um, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering when this is coming. Up. I was gonna do the same thing. No, I was looking. Oh I was like, I'm we have to do this. Put you on the spot because we've never had an opera singer on the show, and mm. we might not. I don't know when we'll have one again. Wait, maybe. I hope we have I some hope, more. Yeah, yeah, I hope we have some more. Um, but you know, since opera, I can't hear <laughs> you with like a <laughs> Scottish <laughs> accent, <laughs> could you like? Um, Give us a little bit. It doesn't have, like, not a full song, but just a just little like a bit. Just, like, a line. Can I just give you, like, a scale or something? Or, like, something, like, a um, little thing? Um, sure. I don't know if what that is, but is sure. The, song. <laughs> the scale is not in the song. Um, kinda, that's the thing. Like, there's nothing yeah. great to sing from the opera by itself. Because, I mean, it won't make sense. And it's I just kind of weird. I thought you were weird. just going to end it like that. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Um, it'd be better if I just... Yeah, Do you, sure. You want to just hear something from the opera? I mean, um, we'd, we'd love to hear from something from the opera, but if you don't feel comfortable, again, yeah, it's up to you. I can. Um, okay, so this is. You I have to stand give, up? I, no. <laughs> I should just give you context to it first. Okay. okay, okay, okay. So <laughs> this is right after the battle scene. Um, by the way, we have a great battle scene. Ooh, it's very is intense. it very well choreographed? Because I'm very into that. Yeah, we have. Well, we have um, <laughs> one of our members. Is uh, he's he's a black belt in kickboxing Ooh, and karate oh, and stuff. Wow. He That's choreographed so cool. some of it. Anyways, um, <laughs> this is right after the first battle scene, and the lieutenant is asking his soldier, um, like how many have died, and the soldier's response okay. is okay. this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell me one. Okay. So this is his response. Too soon to tell. Probably ten, many more wounded. So yeah, that's his one. That's <laughs> the one all, Scottish like soldier's line. <laughs> well, thank you so thank much. You so much. For thank you for on. having me. Um, when will Silent Night be playing? So it's on. We our first two shows were actually last week. Um, so this week it's actually tomorrow, and the following day Friday. Um, it's pretty sold out. It's not sold out completely, <laughs> but it's very full right now. So, and it's going to be playing at UBC. Yeah, in the old auditorium. It's uh, it's by the Rose Gardens, kind of. It's by the music buildings. It's across Main Mall from Buchanan. Okay. So yeah. And awesome. And you can get tickets get, online. And, yeah, yeah. Online or on the phone in person. Try to get them super fast. Yeah, like like super <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, it's actually we've never had a show this sold out before. Wow, that's great. Awesome. Yeah, it means it's really of, good, guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and also, um, I should mention, we're the first university to ever perform this. Wow. Yeah. Oh, no. oh, my God. <laughs> a lot like, of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> it's groundbreaking. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so thank much you. again. Thank you for having me. Yeah. We're going to do some ads and PSAs, and then we're going to go right back to a job on segment with Jake Clark. Those every 
Ever heard of Pitch Perfect? UBC Acapella can sing on harmony in cue. Made up of 100 members across four choirs, the student-led club regularly performs on and off campus. Check out UBC Acapella on Facebook for more information regarding their Aka Amazing end-of-term concerts. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. You're listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. And this is The Jawbone with Jake Clark. You probably already knew that. What you probably didn't know is that this is a triple interview in honor of the coming show, Alberio. And we have in studio writer Anis Basmajan, uh, director Liam Lazenby, and star actor Colton Fife. How are y'all doing? Oh, we're doing just fine. Uh, thanks, Jake. Uh, it's really nice to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. We have a somewhat novel setup here going, so we're going to get sort of a you know, interesting sort of stereophonic effect. Now, I, I kind of want to go around uh, the group, uh, talk about the different aspects of the show uh, you're involved in. So I'd like to start with Anise. I want to ask, what was the inspiration for Alberio? Uh, and if you could sort of pitch it to our listeners. Uh, sure, no problem. I am Anise Basmajan. I'm the writer and producer nice. of the show. Uh, Alberio is a original two-act musical, um, and I wrote it originally about four or five years ago when I was in my final year of the creative writing department. We had a final uh, project submission to write a 20-page play, and I wrote a 50-page original musical. So over the course of a few years, I refined it, reviewed it, all that stuff, and now it's finally being put on. Alberio is basically the answer to the question, what would happen if there was an actual reason people sang in a musical apart from it just being a musical? So uh, by that definition, the show is kind of semi-diegetic, meaning the sound actually comes from the stage in real life and the reality of the show. Mostly. Yeah, mostly, mostly. I mean, there's a band <laughs> off stage, but you know, whatever. It's about two brothers, Riker and Chambers. They are half human and half siren. Um, sirens is in the creatures yeah. from mythology who could sing sailors to their doom, all that not stuff. Not the thing on top of a fire engine. No, not that, no. <laughs> and um, when they sing together in harmony, that's when their hypnotic powers can activate because they're half-blooded. So they've been apart for some time, and then the older one comes back into the younger one's life on the night of a crucial dinner party, and there's chaos and music and mayhem and magic, and it's basically just... Uh, a play about the importance of family and song and voice and silence and all that good stuff. Sounds like a very interesting hook because there's not very many depictions of sirens yeah. in, uh, in stories, yeah, really. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, I don't know if I've ever known a character in fiction who is a siren. Hmm. Well, if anyone would know, it'd be Liam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm actually trying to think right now, and the only places where I can conceive of characters that might be, I haven't, I don't actually know. I'm just thinking of, there are obviously stories like American Gods that may well have sirens oh, as a part of it, uh, but I can't think of anything starring sirens. Nothing, I, nothing yeah. comes to mind. Because I think they were in Percy Jackson, too. Probably. Like, I, I never I, read those books. I, I think if, if I remember those books correctly, but I, as, as main characters, they tend to be a little overlooked. Well, I mean, 
they're kind of one note, if you'll pardon the pun. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, in the mythology, what do they do? They sit on a rock and they lure sailors to the deaths. That's a siren inside and out. That's, that's all that they are. And so when you get people trying to reinvent mythology, which someone like the whole Percy Jackson series yeah. is, and again, I never read them, so I may be mischaracterizing it, but my understanding is it's all just Greek mythology brought into a more modern style. So the sirens were never a major part of the mythology in general, so they wouldn't really come to the fore in the books probably. It is sort of what you'd have with American gods if they didn't follow through. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, Fair no, enough. we're just going to transplant them into, into the modern bit. I actually kind of have a question apropos of that, sort of for kind of all of you guys, mm -hmm. is the aesthetic of this production, because it seems like a very interesting convergence of styles mm -hmm. with the, the musical, with mythology involved, and I'm just wondering how you're going to bring that to the stage, like what your governing principle is here. Well, it's a little eclectic. Yeah, it's a little bit, it's a little bit strange. Uh, well, I feel like a musical is the perfect vehicle to put sirens on stage since singing is their thing, mm -hmm. and singing in reality is their thing. Uh, as for the aesthetic, that was kind of a uh, coalition between me and Liam's ideas. What do you think, Liam? I think the aesthetic has largely been just throwing a whole bunch of things at the wall and seeing what sticks, really. Basically, it's just, I mean, yeah. It's a matter of, I see this character looking more like this. The stage design would look better, or the set design would look better if we had, you know, a couple chairs over here. It's been very ad hoc, in a way. Yeah. Not to say that it's been, you know, loose or anything like that. It's still, very definitely, we have ideas of what we want, but there hasn't been a strong, unifying aesthetic behind the whole thing as much as there has been a unifying sound and unifying themes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are more at the core than any sort of aesthetic. Yeah, I, that's what I think. I think the real heart of the show is the singers, the people on stage, the sound of the show as opposed to the look of the show. And the character dynamics, which I think Colton can talk a little more about than we should give him a chance yeah. to really <laughs> get in and say something. Third person. Since, since he is one half of the core dynamic of the show. Yeah. What's it like playing a siren? Half siren. Uh, it's really interesting because my focus as an actor is musical theater. So having an opportunity to play a character who is not singing outside of the story. Because in a lot of musicals, a song may represent a thought. A moment in a person's head that is extended over time. It's when, you, when words aren't enough, you sing. When you can't say what you're trying to get across or what you're feeling, you sing. But in this, it's an extension of your speech. It's just part of the story, which really is an interesting contributor to the style because we don't have a character stepping out and almost like a soliloquy, it's completely affecting everything around them, which is a really interesting dynamic to play with. It sort of foregrounds the presence of music in the story. Yeah. I never re really stopped to think about it, but it does in that way kind of flip the script, as it were. Instead of taking the character out of what's going on to sing, instead, when they sing, the world changes to suit them, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is an interesting alternative to the norm there. Yeah. And regarding the style of this, because there are certain music... The musical is a genre that has these very evocative sort of stylistic periods to it, and I'm wondering... Apropos of that, sort of to follow up on the aesthetic a little bit, what is the sort of musical style in play here? Oh, just a smattering of everything, really. It's Yeah, it, well, it, very definitely taking cues from the Broadway musical. Of course, yeah, um, no, naturally. There's there's a lot of, yeah, we have the, we have the big show-stopping number at the end of Act 1. Yeah. We have the, the soft, gentle... Hymn. Exactly. We, we have 
a lot of the standard beats musically that you get in a, I mean, in just about any major uh, or lesser musical is just, it's not so much a, what's what I'm looking for. It, it's not like it's formulaic in any way. We, no. We're not going by the numbers or anything like that, but we're definitely following a structure that has been well-tread. Yeah, and also what's uh, it's important to note is that because the songs are actually happening in the life of the show, and these songs are, like Colton said, an extension of their words, every siren in the show, their song, their style, is kind of an extension of their soul, of their character. So every song that belongs to them is uh, abiding by that style. And I gotta ask Colton, as someone who's actually singing in the show, do you have a favorite song? My favorite song is probably called Silence, and it's sort of a climax number in the show, and it's just a very satisfying number to sing. It's also... <laughs> and perform. Sorry, um, kind of along that line, it's, it was very interesting working on that number. It ended up being not at all what we were expecting it to be. No. Uh, when we set up, we planned on it being a big climactic number, and instead it's this very slow, um, haunting kind very of... Very eerie, mm-hmm. creepy, Dang. but beautiful number. It's gorgeous, and especially when Colton sings it. It's amazing. <laughs> he does a good job. <laughs> yeah. Come see it. It's amazing. You'll cry. It's, it's elevating. Yeah. That's, a, that's a pretty swelling endorsement, I gotta say. I am very intrigued by this, because this is a very... This does strike me as a very interesting production. And uh, I, I am aware that uh, Sebastian Mendoza wrote yes. the music for this, yeah? Yes, he composed all of the music, and uh, I, I co-wrote the lyrics, but um, he's, he's the backbone of the entire music team, along with uh, Kara Chuang and Paolo uh, Camia. They, ah, they helped arrange the sheet music and all that. And uh, the band is made up of uh, Kara and a good friend of ours, uh, Samuel Gilmore, and he's going to be playing guitar, and it's fantastic. Samuel Gilmore, no relation to Lorelei. No. <laughs> So to close the interview, I have a question for you because this is sort of a melange of musicals and mythology, and I was wondering if you guys would like to share either your favorite story from mythology or your favorite musical, and why. <laughs> Sorry, you can't and see. I'm nice, doing a happy dance. And I just quietly just freaks out in the corner. Oh my god, okay. Um, I have quite a few favorite musicals, but I think my favorite musical of all time has to be... Oh man, don't make me choose. It has to be either Phantom of the Opera or Legally Blonde. I love them both. It's great. So much. <laughs> Just those two. Like, yeah, there you go. I, I saw I saw Phantom of the Opera when it was here in Vancouver. It blew me away. Uh, I saw it in New York in at the Majesty at the Majestic Theater. It was incredible. I cried as soon as the the overture went on. And Legally Blonde has always been my feel good musical. I always put it on whenever I'm feeling you know kind of down. I always watch the Broadway show. And I recently watched uh, a Mounting of the Violin Entertainment, and I didn't know that Colton Fife was actually in it until he mentioned it at rehearsal one day. And that was really, really interesting. Who'd you play? Uh, I was Kyle, the UPS guy. Oh, yes. Bend and snap. All right. Oh yeah. It's <laughs> a heck of a character to play. But yeah, um, when it comes like, Phantom of the Opera is basically the definition of like a big Broadway musical. It's a big musical in opera style because it's not really an opera. And I, I just, whenever I see a mounting of it, there's all sorts of different things. You have all the iconic numbers, but you can do so many different things with it and every phantom is different and every phantom has their own quirks and really paints a completely different picture of every one of them. And Legally Blonde is just high energy. It's what every like fun, entertaining musical should aspire to reach in terms of energy, in terms of feel. It's just amazing. The fact that Nice cites those two as her go-to favorite musicals 
is really telling about what we're putting on, actually. Oh, yeah. Because there is an awful lot of both of those in this show, mm -hmm. which may sound really odd to consider, but that's how it is. It's Legally Blonde meets Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it kind of is. Kind of is. Isn't the Phantom kind of a siren in himself? He does kind of hypnotize sorta. Christine at some point, yeah. Well, I mean, whatever. He's... He's not the best dude in the world. He's he's not, he's kind There's of weird moments. <laughs> There's a lot of moments in that show. <laughs> and Liam, you have a favorite musical, favorite myth? I am actually having one heck of a time trying to think of one. Um, I was thinking all through a nice's bit, and I'm still thinking, can we cut to Colton? We and then <laughs> we can, I'll yeah. come back, because I'm really trying here. <laughs> oh, my God. I would probably say my favorite musical. Oh, it's very difficult is probably the most recent production of Hunchback of Notre Dame that was done at the Paper Mill House. Really? The orchestration and arrangement in it is phenomenal. The music is just overwhelming. Like, the bells of Notre Dame at the beginning, just the voices, the way they swell, the crescendo, everything is done perf perfectly, and it really evokes an emotional response. And the story, I find, is really compelling. And Phantom of the Opera is one of my favorites as well. And apparently I have a thing for twisted characters. <laughs> Don't we all? So uh. it's, it's just a gorgeous story. And the music is really the thing that draws me to it most of all. Because across the board, that orchestration and score is phenomenal. There's mm. a lot about humanity in it. There is. And it really draws the question. One of the quotes from it is, I'm probably paraphrasing here, but what makes a monster and what makes a man? is yeah. one of the quotes from the top of the show in the end. And it's just, it really makes you think on your humanity. And I think that's something, especially now, like, it, well, always is something people should be thinking about. Well, furlough has become pretty relevant recently, I would say. <laughs> yes, very yeah, much so. I <laughs> thought of it that way, but oh, yeah. Oh, God. As yeah. a character, uh, you got one for us, Liam, or? Well, let you me just say paint your wagon. Oh, let, let, let me tell you the thought process oh, going God. on here. Because we have two people who are immersed so deeply in musical theater. I, I'm wanting to go with the mythology route because I want to represent something a little deeper. That is an option. Absolutely. However, then I run into the problem of picking a favorite moment from the entire world histories, basically every religion that isn't Abrahamic. And that becomes a little bit beyond what I can just reach in and pull out a favorite for. So paint your wagon? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to have to go uh, with musicals, unfortunately, I think. Much as I would want to go with something a little different, but I just, I can't in good conscience single out one thing. That's understandable. All yeah. of, yeah. And maybe it's just part of my mind, because we are literally talking about it right before we came in here. But I, I always keep going back to both the film and the stage adaptation of Once as being just one of the most beautiful, small stories to be told in that way. And I love that the musical can tell these grand, sweeping narratives like Phantom and also tell these very small, deeply human stories about just people living their life. And it's, it's such a versatile genre. That came here, right, through the Arts Club last year. It was here through yeah. the Arts Club. Uh, yeah, I saw the Arts Club's mounting of it and had... 
a bunch of opinions about it, mostly favorable. Mostly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not like it's not like I'm some sort of highfalutin theater critic, but I, on the whole, I was I was very happy with what I saw. Well, neither am I, and I have a radio show where I do it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I, overall, I just I love the story. I love the music a lot, and I, I just love the humanity of it and how it is a small story told in a very uh, in intimate way it, you know you you get in there and though the two main characters don't even have names they're just guy and girl in the you know in the credits of the film in the program that's all they're listed as and yet you know them as well as you know anyone in your life by the end of it it's just it's it's a beautiful small story and could you say that about alberio there is definitely elements of that that I bring to the direction that I'm giving with Alberio, but the script is itself, as we've previously mentioned, kind of thematically a hodgepodge of things you get in Phantom and things you get in Legally Blonde, and then you bring in this you know, intimate style of directing, and what you get is this resultant entity that is Alberio. Mm -hmm. Let's say in, in whole, Alberio has it ends with the essence of family and the yes. importance and the connection and the strength you gain from maintaining a family connection. And it, I really appreciate that it's not because my character has a goddaughter in the show. And in my life, it's proven true that that saying, blood is thicker than water, doesn't hold true. You can have family when there isn't. Scientifically, yes, it does. No, 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 no. That, that phrase actually has been perverted from the original phrase, which meant the opposite. Yeah. Okay. It well, meant the blood you spilled with your Yeah, your, the, your comrades. Yeah, the bond of blood brothers. The way it's used I know. colloquially. I wasn't going to say anything is. until you looked at me and started talking, okay? <laughs> Look, blood is thicker than water, but not nearly as refreshing. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Oh, my God. <laughs> we have to do it. So, We're locked in a room with you. <laughs> yeah, definitely ties the importance of family and oh, yeah. the strength one can gain through it. But it doesn't require family to be by birth. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I really wanted to emphasize that when I was writing the show because I, I'm Armenian and in, when, we're, when you're Armenian, family is literally everything. Like, you spend time with your family, when there's a family event, you go. When someone, your cousin's 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 cousin is getting married in San Francisco, you buy a $500 dress and you go. Like, that's how it is. But with a lot of people that I know and a lot of stories that I know, family by blood, sometimes they're just... When you find family, that can be just as good. That should be just as good. That should be just as tight. And you, you can you can open your heart to a lot of people, and you can you can choose your family sometimes. And so. that, I guess that's a beautiful sentiment. Mm -hmm. All right, to catch that on stage, to catch the first appearance of a siren major character, <laughs> uh, in a musical or otherwise, and the synthesis of Phantom of the Opera and Legally Blonde, check out Alberio at the Red Gate Review stage, November 21st. To the 24th. To the 24th. Yeah. Yes. We have five and years. beyond. Yeah, there you go. Well, that's the hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 2019, who knows? We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Anise, Liam, Colton, it was a pleasure having you in the studio. It was very nice to be Thank here. Thank you. Thank you very much. And good tidings. This Quarter Magazine has been supporting local music for over 30 years. Thanks to the long-term support of the Rickshaw Theatre, this quarter lives. Favorite bands are playing at the Rickshaw Theater. Check out their calendar just behind the cover of Discorder Magazine or at rickshawtheater.com.
of anthropology displays long-term and visiting exhibits of indigenous art from around the world, and guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. There's a lot to take in. Luckily at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take home. If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. The Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty. Come enjoy our collection and resources. jazzy um, intro into this little review segment uh, was from uh, the chant was from Joshua Redman uh, and that was one of his songs from the still dreaming album that he has from it's called haze and aspirations mm. it's really cool uh, well the reason why we were playing it is because the chance center is having their lens last concert of the year um it's the still dreaming with joshua redman ron miles scott cole and brian blade and this is going to be their one night only performance and it's going to be on november 13th at 8 p.m nice. so like it's definitely it definitely seems super super cool uh i don't know if i'll be able to be let in because i don't think i'm that cool enough. <laughs> cry cry um no, okay Thank you so much. <laughs> but they're playing there, so it seems really, really awesome, and I definitely check it out. And it's like the Chance Center's last year. It's uh, last year concert. Because I was looking at that exact show tonight. Yeah, definitely go check it out. It looks really good. Um, another thing that's coming up is the uh, Good Noise Gospel Choir is presenting their annual Good Tidings Christmas concert. So not only do we have the Silent Night Opera, but we also have a choir singing for Christmas. And they're doing um, their annual concert on December 14th at 8 p.m. and December 15th at 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. at Christ church cathedral it seems really really beautiful and really cool and honestly i love to go see choirs on christmas i mean that's like the best time to go see them are you kidding 
I don't know. It's <laughs> <Just> me. <laughs> so after Silent Night, just go uh, go watch the Good Noise Gospel Choir. Um, so now we're going to do some reviews on some really cool things that uh, were going on and are still going on. So you can go check them out, maybe. Uh, well, first, we have the Museum of Anthropology's uh, uh, exhibit that came that we talked about last Wednesday. And we're going to talk about it. Talk about how yes. it was. So last Wednesday, we had Carol E. Mayer here on the show. And if you're listening, thank you for coming. It was super interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, that was really awesome. She was very inspiring. And then the next day, I got to see her at the museum itself with uh, the person who was collecting all these pieces and buying them all. So let me tell you a little bit about the show. And I'm just going to start by saying that it is still on display. It is going to be on display until March. And it's at the MOA. As students, we have a free entry. It's very inspiring. If you have some time, just go and check it out because it's just really vibrant and beautiful. And what I want to start with saying about this show is that although it showcases nine indigenous Aboriginal Australian women, it is not about um, it's not about celebrating the the tribal tradition of it or trying to make some kind of anthropological statement, although it is in the Museum of Anthropology. But the idea behind this exhibition that has traveled in other five or six museums beforehand is that these pieces are in themselves aesthetically pleasing. They have a place in contemporary art for, as they are, not because they were made by some indigenous people. Um, so when I'm just going to share my notes from the um, from the show, uh, from the exhibition, from the media tour. Um, the first interesting thing that they were saying is that uh, these works were actually commissioned, not in the sense that they were asked, the artists were asked to um, draw on some specific theme, but uh, in the sense that these were uh, the probably the largest works for all the um, showcasing artists because usually they wouldn't make um, pieces that are as big. And because the um, curator wanted to present these shows in, you know, like museum spaces, he wanted them to be as grand as the spaces. So many of the artists were making their largest show for this exhibition, for their largest pieces, sorry, for this exhibition. Um, so mainly the two groups that are showcased are artists from the desert, what we call Outback in Australia, and also in the uh, northern parts uh, that are on the beach. Usually the ones that are kind of counterintuitive, but the artists that live in the Outback are more um, established. They have been uh, using high-end and what's mainstream I guess uh, regular as we would say art supplies and they use the best stuff as to say like canvas oils and whatnot and they have all the palettes of colors in their work as opposed to the artist from the beach side that us use more natural materials because they don't have access to those um, high-end materials so there you would see a lot of works that are on bark trees on wood um, Mm. <laughs> it's kind of hard to show like the size with your hands not the size i'm thinking about the word wood uh trunk on wood, wood trunks trunk. oh. thank you so a lot of use with natural material natural colors ochres and stuff like that another interesting thing is that um 
the art exhibition, it's all, all the space is painted in different colors. So they wanted to accentuate these natural works with colors other than white. If you remember, Ileana, Ileana she was saying, Carol, while she was here, that she didn't want to use the white cube, right? Like yeah. That's the conception of the art, mm-hmm. like contemporary art world. And indeed, there, there are like a lot of colors there, but it's not like you would imagine. It's not like ochre, brown, stuff like that. It's like blue, black, like really, really cool. So that's also part of what inspired me in the in the exhibition. And mm, and I'm gonna quote Carol, and she said, um, "This is not an art gallery, but it's also not an ethnographic exposition. It is its own." That's what she said about the background color. Um, also, the space invites us to be in a meditative state, in a contemplation state. A lot of the artwork is kind of like, um inside outside kind of feel so what do i mean like some of the artworks uh the ones that you uh the first ones that you see kind of look like it's stars kind of look like it's the night sky but actually it's for the artist it's a flower field so it's kind of like very near very far if you know what i mean there are a lot of obviously a lot of uh, natural themes such as uh nets so one of the artists she's a master weaver She does the nets to provide the food for her family. But now it's kind of like going out of style. Like you can't present a weave in a museum. So what she does is she draws the, the, mesh, the meshes. And it looks amazing. It kind of looks like a little psychedelic. Because it's all dots. And it's just like... Oh, that's so cool. It looks 3D. Yeah, I'm kind of... I do want to let uh, Lua talk about... The yeah we also have another review the piece the so I'm just gonna conclude by saying go check it out there are a lot of interesting things to say about this uh, exhibition maybe full of time I'll continue a bit next week go check it out mark in the infinite moa enjoy yeah and I mean it's it's free and at least for UBC for students for UBC students it's free take half an hour go. <laughs> go and get inspired by all the colors well thank you so much Margarita yeah thanks for having me okay Uh, let's hear about this amazing dance performance. I'm very excited. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so, guys, I brought a very special person today with me, my friend, who was classically trained for very, very many, many years. Yeah. Um, do you want to say your name? Yeah, do you want to uh, introduce yourself? I am Sarah. I am a second-year student here at UBC, but I met Lua from the musical theater last year, and we... <laughs> kind of like bonded, <laughs> over, bonded dance. over dance because I have been classically trained like she said for 15 years and I mean I never actually watched or did anything besides ballet and so so I bet this was an interesting oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but basically with ballet you can really understand everything else with dance it's really the basis for everything so she's like my go-to person to take to this <laughs> any dance performance because I know she will actually understand what's going on. So the black piece, we saw it yesterday and it's going on tonight and tomorrow night as well. Um, Where exactly? At the Scotiabank Dance Center. Scotiabank Dance Center that's on Davy Street downtown. And it is uh, choreographed by Anne Van Den Broek. Broek. You yeah. can do it. And Van Den. And, and Van Den Broek. <laughs> um, we think. I, I believe it's pronounced like that. 
So let me give a little bit of context. The black piece, as you might imagine, is very dark. <laughs> <laughs> Literally very dark. Um, the performance occurs in a pitch black environment. You cannot see um, uh, 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 anything in front of you, not even like the audience that is around you. And you're only illuminated by either a camera that is sh that shows the projection on screen so there's this double this, this this layering of images where it's both like you see the recording and you see the image that the camera is capturing at the same time or either that or a little flashlight that will only illuminate like a face or like a, a detail yeah. so, so you can imagine the creepiness of the entire thing um I will say that leaving this, my heart was racing as if I had just left a really scary haunted house because it is a constant build of tension. There is no catharsis in this piece. Everything, every time you think something is going to be concluded, they start something else. There is no, it just builds tension over tension over tension over tension. And so, yeah, what do you... <laughs> yeah, I... Um... Okay, so just to give a little information, last year Lua took me another to <laughs> another dance piece. It was very abstract, like this one. But on that one, I cried because I was so scared. <laughs> the different thing is, um, the black piece was also very scary, but it was a good scare because I didn't cry. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really low. <laughs> Criteria. Of criteria. I didn't cry in this one, so it's okay. So it must not be that bad. <laughs> no, but it was really good, honestly. Yeah. They were both very intense. Um, and the one she's talking about is the Chen, Chen Wei, I believe, is the name of the yeah. company. Um, they were both very intense, but in very different ways. This one, that one, dealt dealt with a lot more emotional, deeply connecting stuff, while the black piece deals with what is reality and what is not reality and you start questioning what Whoa. is your perception of reality and what is um actually going on with these dancers and at first you think you're going to follow these different dancers um going around through like through their stories or there is some t some kind of story but you only really get snippets of moments and you try to connect them and there are points of connection but for me at least i was lost in that connection and i think that lost like that not being able to find myself actually helped to build this environment yeah i was gonna say the same thing the thing about black peace is that it it was 75 minutes without an intermission and literally for the whole 75 minutes i was thinking in my head what is happening right now <laughs> and <laughs> that's the good thing because it keeps you engaged and you wonder what's going to happen next you don't even know what's happening right now so you have no idea what could happen next and it's like it's choreography genius let's say because i mean I've seen a lot of dance shows, and there are so few that can keep you engaged for 75 minutes. Just nonstop. Yeah, yeah, nonstop. And the thing is, um, it feels like every time you... It, it literally feels that you're plunging. Like, it feels that you're in an ocean, and it's all of it, like, when it goes, it comes dark, you're, 
you're plunging into it and then there are moments where the lights come on and you're finally taking a breath just to be plunged back in <laughs> so yeah it was it's really good um very powerful in a very different way very intense if you want to get a <laughs> like oh a heart your heart rate up by just sitting down and watching something this is definitely something um worth taking the time to go to um yeah uh, also there is no music it's all either spoken word Whoa. or whispering or um the sounds of like scratching or writing or so it's very much there is this disconnection between you don't know where you are with these really loud sounds that you know don't belong in this really loud environment. Oh, it sounds, yeah. like, it sounds, <laughs> like, a, it sounds like a perfect, like, kind of, like, unsettling environment. It's yeah. very unsettling. <laughs> but it was a good type of unsettling. Because <laughs> it didn't make you cry. <laughs> it didn't make me cry. Well, thank you so much for everyone coming. Um, next week, we'll be back here doing some interviews, doing reviews. You know how it is. Hmm. Uh, up next, we have The Medicine Show that's going to do some really good stuff. Love listening to them. Um, I'll see you guys next week. Bye, Bye everyone.